for you though um that i was thinking about do i call you scott or do i call you hauser now what do i call you i'm i'm not very particular to be honest with you okay. uh you, i didn't know if you'd you want to be me scott or you can call me hauser. most <laughs> nah most uh most people from from back at the uh, west cabarrus days they still just call me hauser so <laughs> that is totally you, fine with so, me do you go by scott now though do most people call you scott pretty much yeah 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 okay okay yeah. well there's no I'll there's, try to call you scott. There's, there's not two uh yeah there's not two scots that you have to differentiate between so most people just call me that's, scott that's true there's the context <laughs> i was looking for <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah there's, had, there's another scott back at church yes yes but you were always housed that's though, right in my yep. mind um because yep. yeah because scotty and hauser yep. that just that's just how it was that's um right. Yeah. Yep. But anyway, we're we're excited. We're excited to have you um, on. Uh, thanks for being here, Scott. <laughs> um, and it's 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 kind of funny um, that you actually uh, reached out to me about something that I had never really uh, thought about before. And, you know, just a little bit of background for the audience. We kind of just threw this together at the last minute. I was like, hey, we're recording today why don't you just come on and talk with us um so thank you thank yeah. you for reaching out uh so go ahead and just introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about you and um also what you do and then we'll kind of just jump in from there all right so i am uh scott hauser i'm with uh, a group uh called abolish abortion north carolina i'm the director of church outreach and what we do is um, our, our goal is to educate Christians and churches to think rightly about the issue of abortion. There's a lot of uh, a lot of back and forth that goes on, uh, especially in legislatures, which is uh, hopefully what we're going to talk, talk about today. Um, and and our goal is to really be as biblical as we can be in our approach. Right? I'm mm -hmm. unapologetic that that I am a Christian. Um, our approach is a biblical approach, right? I believe the biblical Christian worldview um, is far superior to any other worldview. And, and when it comes to the issue of abortion, uh, I believe that in God's work, he has laid out uh, the process as to how we are to uh, fight this evil in, in, our, in our state, in our country. Uh, and, and so that's, that's kind of why we exist. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And um, now the word abolitionist, uh, let's kind of get into that, right? Um, because a lot of uh, Christians and those who are pro-life, but more secularly pro-life or that are Catholic or so forth, um, pro-life is normally the term that is used. So is abolitionist and pro-lifer, are those interchangeable terms or is there a difference between the two? Yeah, so I, I think it is helpful to um, be clear in our terminology, right? So, so I would not claim to be pro-life. I, I believe that in our uh, culture today, when you say I'm pro-life, there's a lot of baggage that comes along with that, right? And you kind of get pigeonholed into a position where, especially when you're talking to like uh, um, pro-choice people, they'll back you into a corner and, and make you you know, claim to be pro-life for all of life. And then that gets into, you know, your stance on open borders and, and refugee status and, and all this stuff. Uh, the, the 
the term abolitionist is specific, right? Um, we believe that uh, when it comes to the issue of abortion, uh, that laws should be passed uh, that push for equal protection and equal justice when it comes to the child in the womb, right? And and uh, like I said, we'll we'll dig into that a little bit more as as we go. But the the term abolitionist, you know, is a historic one, right? We we believe that this injustice should be done immediately without compromise um, and and to the glory of God, essentially. Um, and and if we approach it slowly and incrementally, um, we're going to end up with another 50 years of, of children being slaughtered in the womb. Um, so when it comes to legislation, when it comes to bills being passed, whether at the state level, federal level, whatever, um, we seek the immediate end of abortion without compromise, without exceptions. You know, we can we can get into the exceptions and stuff like that a little later if you like, um, but that's really kind of what separates abolitionists and, and pro-life uh, folks. Got it. And um, just kind of personally with you, how did you make it to the point of deciding to be more uh, abolitionist supposed to being you know, just pro-life, what, what was, what was, what caused you to, to make that, that switch, or maybe you never did make that switch. You were always, you were always there. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I definitely had a, I wouldn't say it was a switch because I would say probably for the first, um, I don't know, 27 years of my life, I didn't do anything for uh, the pre-born children, right? I, I, abortion was like, you know, not even on my radar. I was, a, a, a conservative Republican, right? I generally opposed abortion. I probably would not encourage a girl to have one, right? Uh, but I wasn't principled mm -hmm. in my stance at all. And uh, I was—I've—I've I've been a truck driver uh, my entire, you know, career. And uh, I distinctly remember driving trucks down in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, and I would drive past there. At the time, there were three abortion facilities in Charlotte, and, and I had a, a route that would regularly take me down the road of two of them. And uh, I would see, you know, Christians standing out there with the, you know, the graphic images and stuff like that. And I would, you know, almost turn my nose up at them and say, you know, these guys aren't going to reach anybody. They need to mind their own business. They, you know, who are they to be telling these people what, right. That was my general approach. Uh, and then back in 2017, uh, I went on uh, a prayer walk at Charlotte and, and I saw up close the, you know, several different types of people, right? You had the, the pro-life folks who were praying, uh, you know, interceding, on behalf of the, the children in the womb. Uh, you had the, the sidewalk counselors who were like right at the front lines trying to, you know, get the ear of the people going. You had the pro-choice crowd that were mm -hmm. very angry that, that these women were being attacked. Um, and, and then you had the mothers and fathers, right? They're driving in there as fast as they can, you know, getting shuffled into the facility behind, you know, umbrellas and stuff. And, and so it was at that point that I realized I've, I've got to get involved. So that was in 2017. In 2018, um, I went to a conference out in Oklahoma. <clears throat> and this is where I was really exposed to the consistency of the, of the abolitionist position, right? And, and I believe as a Christian, we should want to be as consistent as possible uh, in all areas of our life, right? 
abortion is no different. And, and so it was at that conference where a lot of the pieces started getting put together for me personally. Um, and that kind of, you know, snowballed into kind of where I'm at today, uh, both dealing with folks at uh, abortion facilities, as well as, as, you know, talking to Christians on, you know, how exactly should we be thinking about this issue? Yeah, no, that's, that's helpful. That's definitely really helpful to know. And so let's, let's just kind of jump in here when it comes to, I'm going to try to come at the other side here. Cause I, I would call myself pro-life, but to be yeah. very honest, um, mm-hmm. I really hadn't really been exposed to the idea of abolition before, uh, in regards to abortion. So, yeah. Um, a lot of pro-lifers, it's a very odd feeling of we obviously, you know, we want there to be, you know, no abortion at all. Like that's our goal too. But yeah. we have legislation that comes in and we have different politicians. They tend to be on the right um, and they get the legislator together and they make an abortion ban um, after 12 weeks, right? That actually recently That's happened right. here in North Carolina, which I'm sure you're you're well aware of. Um, and so it's this feeling of, ah, oh, yes, you know, we've we've made strides, but also that's 12 weeks, you know, there's, you know, there's way more weeks left, um, of this, Mm -hmm. but in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, some progress is better than no progress. And we've also had um, another politician on, well, she was a former politician, but she came on and talked to us, um, and talked about what you mentioned. Um, she didn't use the same term, but it's what it was. It was incrementalism of, um, Mm -hmm. you know, okay, we might not be able to get it all in one shot. It might not be realistic. So maybe we should just incrementally, um, you know, get closer and closer to no abortions. Can you, from your perspective, explain if you agree or disagree with that um, and why? Yeah. So I understand why that is appealing because it is right. You, you, you're constantly, Mm -hmm. you know, staying busy. You're, you're, you're working your way towards a goal. Uh, North Carolina is actually uh, an interesting case study. Um, in in our state, we had veto power, right? Um, it didn't matter what the governor wanted to do. Our pro-life Republicans had the power to completely ignore what he said. Um, and it was the pro-life Republicans that drafted this this 12-week ban, right? It's, you know... Again, being clear in our in our language um, is is important. Right, abortion hasn't been ended in the, anywhere. There, there's various mm-hmm. bans at, at different right. weeks, but when when you look at um, the the bills from the person who's being ripped apart, right, or being poisoned to death, um, we sac- we are sacrificing currently uh, children from fertilization to 12 weeks at the expense of 12 weeks to full station, right? And, and so North Carolina had the opportunity to go for the jugular, right? Like they had the opportunity to, to have a full uh, ban on abortion, fully abolish it. But where the, where the rub comes in is when it comes to laws and their sanctions, okay? So when talking about the incremental versus immediate, uh, what has to come into the discussion is the idea um, that the mother is actually the second victim, 
right? So when pro-life politicians write laws, and this is <clears throat> even the the, the newest um, House Resolution uh, 464 that was presented to Congress, um, it lists off a, a lot of good things. Like it it reads very well, except for this one provision that says that uh, women are not allowed to be prosecuted for killing them, right? So we've got a bunch of different states that uh, that there's no abortion clinics, right? They've they've banned surgical abortions. There's there's no abortion clinics, and yet the abortions are still happening in, in Texas, Oklahoma, where, wherever it may be, uh, and it's because of the rise of pill abortions, right? So mm -hmm. unless there is a sanction, unless there there is a penalty for killing a child. There is no equal protection. There is no equal justice. So, as long as pro-life politicians bills, it doesn't matter if it's a if it's a a full-on equal protection bill, right? If there's a stipulation in there that says the mother can never be prosecuted, then then abortion is still perfectly legal, right? You you've essentially created an entire class of citizen that has special murder rights does that make sense it yeah and so i just just kind of to clarify so you're basically saying that um with these with this with abortion the way that you guys want it to be is to, in order to protect the child and make it a criminal act you have to prosecute whoever has done that thing is is that am i am i understanding that correctly that's correct Okay. Yeah, and 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 the pushback comes, you know. Well, you guys just want to criminalize women, right? I know it sounds harsh, and and that's the the knee jerk reaction, the knee jerk response, but that's not actually the case, um, because we're not criminalizing women. We're we're wanting to criminalize an act, right? The act of murdering a, a preborn child. Um, there's, I mean, we, we don't want to criminalize women. I have women in my life, right? Um, mm -hmm. I don't want to just see women thrown in, in jail, but the fact remains when a, when a woman orders a, a, an abortion pill online, she doesn't even have to, at, at this point, they don't even have to go to an, a, an abortion clinic to get a pill, right? You can go on the internet, have them delivered to your house. You yeah. never have to win standing at driveways. And then in the privacy of her home, she can swallow a pill, kill her child, and no one has to know about it. Well, in that instance, who exactly is the abortionist? Um, so, so we can't just go after banning certain methods of abortion. Uh, it's mm -hmm. the act of abortion that, that should be criminalized. Yeah. No, you're making me think a little bit here. You always have, Hauser. Um, well, we've, we've already seen this played out. Where any of the any of the western states and and northwest northeastern states yeah. uh, blue states that have decriminalized drugs yeah so you know they're not That's legal right. you can't you can't go there and buy them and you can't sell them but if you obtain them you you don't get prosecuted there's no punishment you're not punished for it so yeah. and so there's no what's the real consequence right there's no incentive to right. not do that so essentially. I mean, you're taking the idea of abortion as murder all the way to its logical conclusion that it's murder um, and that it should be kind of on the same right. on the on the same on the same level um, as 
as everything else. Now, this is just a curious question, by the way, uh, and you might, I don't know if you've thought about it all, but if the woman, if or the woman, I'd say the girl, if it's a, if it's like a 15 year old or if it's a young person, would it kind of just be the same way that, you know, criminal uh, charges play out for juveniles? Like, I'm, I'm just curious about that because with younger people, I don't know how informed they are and also about their brain development. Sure. I've, I'm just curious about that. Sure. Yeah. So, so kind of just off the bat two two different things, right? If, if, if a, if a minor, right. Okay. So like uh, when it comes to exceptions, the exceptions that are usually brought up are uh, rape, incest and life of the mother. Okay. Mm-hmm. If, if it's a minor who has been uh, sexually abused um, and the father or the trafficker or whoever it may be is the one that's going to get the abortion pill or the abortion or whatever. He is in fact the murderer, right? It, mm. The, the, the okay. abolition bills that have been written. Yeah. The abolition bills that have been written all have a, a uh, clause in there. If, if the woman is acting under duress in fear for her life, um, mm-hmm. she's not at fault. Right. And, and the thing is we handle every other, uh, violent crime uh, case individually, right? It would be the same thing in, in each case of, of, you know, the act of prenatal homicide. Um, the, each case would be handled individually. There, so there wouldn't be this blanket, you know, if you get pregnant and have an abortion right. automatically you know, penalized. It, it would be a case that would go before a judge and, and, and the, all these things. Um, but the, the child... So, so you said a, a 15 year old that, you know, brain development and stuff like that, you, yeah, you know, there's yeah. a, the, the, the common, the common, um, theme when, when, when discussing this stuff comes up that, uh, that, that a, a girls are, you know, they just aren't sure society has told them for years and years and years that, you know, it's just a clump of cells. It's, you know, it's not a baby, you know, it's, and, and even more than that, I've heard at outside of an abortion clinic, it's K for me to have the abortion because the, it doesn't have a beating heart yet. Right. It's mm-hmm. okay to have the abortion because it can't feel pain, but ask yourself, what are those? What are those excuses? Those are actual pro-life laws that have taught our society mm-hmm. the acceptable when it comes to killing children. Right. So let's go back to your situation with the 15 year old girl that she doesn't know. And, and I'll be perfectly honest with you, Jordan. I, I don't know that that girl exists. Right. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, my eight year old daughter, when she sees a, a mommy at church with a gigantic belly, she knows she's pregnant with a baby. <laughs> right. Like, so, so sure. I don't think women. Yeah. I, I don't think women are too dumb to understand that they're, they're, they're pregnant with a child. Um, but that, that comes up a lot. Um, but let's in this hypothetical world where abortion is illegal, remember that the girl who's walking into the abortion clinic, who tells me it's okay because the child doesn't have a heartbeat or it's okay because they won't feel pain. Both of those are pro-life laws. If that girl that you're talking about did exist, um, and, and abortion was illegal, the law would tell her everything she needs to know about that mm-hmm. child. If, 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 if hypothetically there was a girl who lived in a bunker her entire life and was told the same thing, 
that that the child in the womb is just a clump of cells that you know it it it's not living till it comes out and takes its first breath or or whatever um and she comes out of that bunker after 20 years or whatever and gets pregnant and then tries to procure an abortion our laws would tell her you can't do that does that, mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah it does uh and there's there's two things um that i I like that. I want to, I want to touch on that. I honestly hadn't thought of before myself. I think the first thing that you said was about, um, I think giving women credit, uh, for their intelligence. I think that's, that's a very, uh, pro woman thing to do. Um, that, that there is, that there is an instinct in us that does indeed know that, you know, that's a child there. Um, but I think there is a level of social pressure and also a desire, um, to, to do what we want, um, that causes, causes that confliction. Uh, but I, I definitely agree with you, um, that there is that intelligence that's there. Um, but the second thing, um, that I kind of caught as you were talking is, and tell me if I am not interpreting this correctly, but you actually see some issues how incrementalism can actually um, contribute to the idea of pro-choice. Am I am I on the right track with that, or if I misinterpreted? No, you're you're definitely on the right track. And you know, we live in a very interesting time, right? We are post-Roe. We are in the Dobbs paradigm, right? Um, the big boogeyman of Roe versus Wade is no longer an issue. Okay. So we have a, di- a different paradigm that we're living in than, than we did, you know, a, a few years ago, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is the bills of equal protection, the bills, not only of equal protection, but of equal justice, right? That's, that's the biblical terminology that I, I, I kind of want your listeners to to focus in on is equal justice. The the law that protect me should protect children in the womb. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, When we put bills of abolition in, in various States, it's not the pro choice crowd that we have to worry about. We, we don't have to worry about Planned Parenthood, you know, opposing our bills. It's the pro life movement that opposes our bills. And, and this really, came to a head there's there's several different um examples but the, one of the most recent ones that caught a lot of attention was actually in louisiana uh last year they had an abolition bill um what was historic about that bill was that it made it through committee right like all their pro-life leaders when 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 these pastors and and abolitionists are talking to these legislators these legislators are like, yeah, like just like you said, it's the logical conclusion. <laughs> if it's murder, there has to be a penalty. There has to be somebody who's guilty. And so these guys were in full agreement. Well, what happened was the day before, is it the day before day of um, the, the actual vote for the for the bill? Like Louisiana would have been the first state to not kill their children, right? From fertilization to, to natural birth. Um, the day before, day of, uh, there was a letter released. It was, it was the open letter to lawmakers from the, from the nation's leading pro-life organizations. 72 pro-life organizations signed on to a letter 
that uh, I mean, I have a copy of it here. We can read some of it if you want. But signed on to a letter saying that they unequivocally stand by the fact that they will not support any bill that punishes women. Right. So here again, you have this idea of a of a certain citizen that has special murder rights. Um, and, and like I said, it was signed by all, all your big guys in this, National Right to Life, all these. Um, but it was the pro-lifers that killed the bill that would have saved all children in Louisiana. And that's happened in multiple states, Missouri, Texas, Oklahoma. Um, we, we've, we've seen it happen time and time again. Hmm. Yeah, and it that's, that's interesting uh, just in the sense that you're talking about the, the pro-life organizations with the idea of, you know, you're criminalizing the act and whoever does the act, you know, uh, has to pay that penalty. It does kind of go to show that there can be some cultural influence that can make it into uh, perhaps the pro-life side. Um, if I'm looking at it from an abolitionist standpoint, because, you know, once we had the feminist movements keep rising, like women had, there's like a lot of double standards that, that women have that like men don't like, uh, for example, a recent one that's been coming up and we've kind of talked about it on one of our, our podcast episodes of how, um, women can have certain standards for men with dating, but men, if they have any standards, you know, that's, that's sexist, you know, you can't, you can't do that. Um, and so that, that's a very, it's a bit of a smaller example, but maybe from the abolitionist point of view, you still have, um, a little bit of that maybe, maybe coming in. Um, and I kind of want to ask a question here. It might be more of a statement that you can respond to, um, and this might be one of the most sexist things I might say, um, but with a lot of these like pro-life um, organizations, do you feel like a lot of the compassion that they have comes forward uh, with not wanting to criminalize women because these are more women-led organizations or they've gone through an abortion themselves? Like, what what do you think stops them from from logically making it over to the the conclusion of of criminalizing? the act. I don't know if that made sense or not, but you can tell me. <laughs> no, it, yeah, it, it makes, it, it it's definitely makes sense. And, and I think there may be two answers to it. Um, I think that when you look at uh, when the pro-life movement got started, it was largely started by the Catholic church. Okay. And, and this isn't just a moral issue. This gets down to a theological issue, right? Which is why I started off by saying, I am unapologetically evangelical Christian in my response to this issue, right? Well, whenever, um, whenever the pro-life movement started fighting this, there was an underlying theology that went along with that. And if you start uh, claiming that these women are murderers, that has implications theologically from the Catholic position, right? But for us, we would like to see laws passed where women would not become murderers, right? Where it's mm -hmm. illegal to get an abortion, to seek out an abortion, to procure an abortion. If it's illegal to do that, you're keeping women from becoming a murderer, which is what I believe. The, I believe the pro-life people believe that abortion is murder, right? I, I, yeah. We don't live in the, the 70s, okay? Like, we can't get away with those same old, tired arguments that it's just a clump of cells, it's a, it's a parasite. Right. Like, we, we can't, the, the pro-choice crowd can't uh, get away with that stuff anymore. Um, so they've, they've had to change their rhetoric as well. 
but the pro-life movement, I think, would agree to an extent that abortion is murder, but because they want to protect women, they're not going to prosecute women. But it, again, logically, if you follow it to its conclusion, if that child was two years old, right? Mm-hmm. And let's just say hypothetical. Okay, so here we'll play the hypothetical game. Um, a lot of reasons why women give that they have to get an abortion is, you know, they lost their job, their parents are going to kick them out, uh, their mm-hmm. the boyfriend's going to leave them, you know, stuff like this. Let's say, just hypothetically, that this girl gets pregnant, um, she has the baby, that child's now two years old, but it, it you know, it won't stop crying. The boyfriend leaves her. She moves in with her parents. They can't handle the stress of a, of a newborn child. They kick her out. Is it okay for her to murder that two-year-old? Can she drive that two-year-old locked in his car seat into a river? Of, mm-hmm. of course she can't, right? The issue gets down to we don't actually see that child in the womb from the smallest of stages as a unique human being created in the image of God. And it comes out in our legislation that we write and the things that we advocate for. And, and so that's the, 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 the pro-life movement and, and their compassion for, and I, I trust me, I get it. Like I understand the appeal to that, but again, from our perspective, we don't want women to become murderers. Right. Mm-hmm. Because what's the what, what, what is the what is the phrase that is always thrown around by pro-life people? Abortion harms women. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the to that? <laughs> Let's make abortion illegal to where they can't do it. If, it. if it's that harmful, let's stop all abortions. Right. It's the logical conclusion. Right. No, that and that and that explanation makes sense to me. Um, it, when you were talking uh, about uh, the two year old, it reminded me I immediately thought of Casey Anthony. I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure she did something uh, pretty dang similar. Um, and she got away yeah. with it. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and these people are monsters, right? We we think that just because like the later term abortions, right, like the 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 20, the 20 week abortion, the 22 week abortion, we we think that's a bit more icky, right? There's more blood involved. So, of course, we're going to support a, a, a late-term abortion ban. But mm-hmm. fundamentally, that child, everything that makes that child unique is present at the moment of fertilization, right? Everything down to, like, their hair color, the things that are going to make them, you know, whether they're going to be good at sports, the, the, the talents that they're going to have, everything that makes that person unique is present at the moment of conception. So if the 24 week uh, abortion is icky, the one week abortion should be just as icky if we're seeing that child as a unique image bearer of God. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, that makes that makes sense. And um, it's kind of too, as you were talking, I was thinking about um, like the idea of being soft on crime, um, where it's, that happens a lot with I feel like people on the left typically speaking, I know I'm not speaking for all of them, but they just want to be kind and compassionate to these people. Um, but what they don't understand is that if we actually are harder on crime, we can stop them from having ever, you know, done those things or the people that have, you know, committed those crimes, you know, we, this is how it works in most societies is like, you know, you show that there's a punishment for it. And that, 
that kind of does serve as a warning of like, you know, if you do this, you know, this is gonna, this is gonna happen. And so to a certain extent, I would argue there is a level of kindness and love by, by putting really hard boundaries in places. Um, and you kind of, and because you've, you've talked about being a Christian Hauser and being unapologetically Christian. Um, can you just kind of talk about, I guess, to a certain extent about your theology and about God's heart and how that plays a role in how you see abortion supposed to someone who is more pro-life and, and secular, um, which you, which you can be for sure, but I'd imagine you think that there are some differences. Yeah. So like our friends in the pro-life movement, right? When, when, when you found a Bible, okay, they're going to agree with all the verses that we would point to for the child being a child, right? Before I knew, or before you were born, I knew you, I knitted you together in your mother's womb. Uh, Children are made in the image of God. Um, all, All these different texts our pro-life friends agree with, right? It's when we start going to Isaiah and, you know, don't write iniquitous decrees that make the fatherless the prey of of the wicked man, right? Uh, Seek justice for the fatherless. Don't have unequal weights and measures, right? What's a a 12-week ban? That's an unequal weight and measure. That's showing partiality to children that uh, are 13 weeks over children that are 12 weeks, right? Um, So don't show partiality. Don't have unequal weights and measures. Seek justice. So for me, the the theology that that undergirds my my approach to abortion is how does God see that child in the womb, right? Um, when When you read through the Old Testament, there is passage after passage after passage about seeking justice for the fatherless. Now, I want you to think in your mind, who deserves that term more than the child in the womb? Uh, a, a child that's been called a mistake, a child that uh, I've, I've heard it referred to recently as a product of conception. Like how demeaning is that? Uh, a child that obviously the mother and father don't want, a child that is scheduled to die here in North Carolina, what, you got to wait 72, 72 hours before you can kill them, right? So, so you are seeking an abortion um, for this child that nobody wants. So in biblical terms, that kid in the womb is the fatherless child. And, and God is very specific how we are to view that child and, and seeking justice for him or her is, is what we are supposed to do. And, and, you know, like I said, the, the difference in the, in the theology behind say the abolitionist movement and the pro-life movement is the pro-life movement wants to focus on the woman, right? They want to focus on that, that girl, her well-being, that abortion hurts her, she's the second victim of Roe, all these things. Whereas the abolitionist movement, we want to focus heavily on that that fatherless child, as well as that girl that she doesn't become a murderer, that, uh, you know, even if it is an unplanned pregnancy, right? Even, Even if abortion was completely abolished in our country, okay, it's not going to end until Jesus Christ comes back, right? Until all of his enemies are under his feet, there's still going to be evil in this world, whether it's abortion, whether it's rape, whether it's the murder of, of born folks. Um, all of these evils are still going to be here until Jesus Christ comes, but we can establish justice in our jurisdictions 
and that's what God would have us do. You know, just think about, you, you know, just take, take instance, okay? Let's take another, another wicked, uh, w- a wicked, wicked thing that somebody could do. Um, if the penalty for rape was a $50 fine, <laughs> how much more rape do you think there would be? Right. Mm. If if the consequence doesn't match time, then the crime's just going to continue to happen. Okay. So so if we think about that with abortion, we say okay, abortion's illegal, right? Abortion's illegal, but there's no penalty attached to it. Abortion's still going to happen because the penalty does not exist. So so we can establish justice in our jurisdictions. You know, North Carolina has a jurisdiction. You know, Tennessee has a jurisdiction, and and we can establish justice in those jurisdictions if the church understands the issue correctly and then forces their their pro-life representatives to to craft bills and and to draw up legislation that reflects what the people want. Um, so hopefully that, that answers your question. No, it it did, and and I want I want Connor to to jump in and give his thoughts here. Um, but just one thing to your to the point that you made with, uh, I guess you know, pro life. Even I think you were even mentioning just pro life Christians too could be lumped into this as well. Um, you know, versus abolitionist is that it seems as if you bring in a lot of more Old Testament parts. Um, and I, one thing I've discussed with Connor before, too, um, is the idea that Christians tend to focus a lot on the New Testament. Um, mm. That's something that they tend to do, which is good. Um, but the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament as well. They're not any different. Um, and there is a level of justice um, that and also grace and mercy that God does show in the Old Testament. Um, and there is obviously a certain level of justice that God shows in the New Testament. Um, it's just I don't know how to say this. I might not be saying it correctly, but um, it does look a little different. So I, I appreciate that. It seems like you look at the Bible um, as a whole, um, supposed to just looking at um, one book or looking at the New Testament or the Old Testament um, or something like that. So that was just one of the one of the initial thoughts um, that came to my mind. Um, but uh, but Connor, uh, do you? I know you probably have some thoughts on this. Just listening, because I know this is a different viewpoint for both of us, for sure. Yeah, I, I know I've heard it before, but it's been a little while. Um, uh, first, my initial thoughts: I, I do prefer getting more specific with terms. I think pro-life and pro-choice are just too broad uh, of terms and can encompass any number of things. You know, yeah, I've, I've met people that are when they say they're pro-life, they're for the baby. But then, you know, if it comes to uh, an execution sentence, they, they, you know, say that they're for that. I'm like, well, you're not pro-life uh, all the way. <laughs> At some point, you do have a cutoff yeah. point. Um, I think yeah. for me, a big question comes with uh, what force dictates the other. So we have law and culture, and I'm not convinced at this point that law dictates culture so much that culture will dictate laws. Uh, and so I've always, I've kind of wondered recent recently if trying to change the laws is going to have a lasting effect. And I'm not sure that it will, as long as the culture keeps pervading that it is okay. Eventually these laws are going to get changed. You know, Roe versus Wade will get, will get reinstated. It'll come back, um, and, and throw out the wind that we, we had last year. Um, 
so I'd like your I'd like your thoughts on how the law versus culture works because you you gave an example when we're talking about the hypothetical world where uh, legally abortion was outlawed, uh, but you give the example of a girl that's grown up her whole life and she's hearing <clears throat> she's hearing the opposite of what the legal system says. So the legal system says it's illegal. She's been told all her life that it's a clump of cells. And then you, you pointed her looking to the legal system to tell her uh what she should do and i just don't think that works because we have that example today you know i'm gonna have a daughter in the future you said you have a daughter i've got sisters they've grown up in in christian homes where it said you can't you know this this is immoral this is against god's plan if they look at the laws right now they can go get an abortion so i have a problem with looking to the laws to make the the moral argument yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so all laws are somebody's legislated morality, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, every law that we have is somebody saying this is right, this is wrong. Um, the reason um, women can go get abortions today perfectly legally is because of pro-life laws, right? So, so go back to what I said earlier about those girls that I've heard tell me. This abortion is okay because the child doesn't have a heartbeat. This abortion is okay because the child can't feel pain. These are laws that have told them it's okay in this instance. So I don't believe that it's just going to happen overnight, right? Um, I don't believe that abortion is just going to like, you know, we're going to snap our fingers and it's just going to be gone from our culture. But when there are laws that are just laws, that, that have penalties attached to them, that view the child as a human being, um, that culture, as time goes on, will begin to accept that new normal, right? Um, so mm-hmm. now our history books, we look back on chattel slavery as the wicked evil that it was. I don't think that we have to worry about chattel slavery anymore in this country because the culture has adopted that owning black people is 100% wrong. I believe that as our laws progress and as our laws reflect the heart of God, um, I believe that that culture will then adopt those laws. And then from that flows a society that values that child in the womb uh, from the moment of fertilization until natural birth. Does that, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, it it, it kind of does. Uh, no, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I, I believe that godly laws curb evil, right? So, so again, trafficking is illegal, okay? Mm-hmm. It, it's illegal. You can't, I, I can't go to, you know, Walmart and, and buy a person. <laughs> it's on the black market. Like, it's, it's been forced out of our culture. That's the same way that we would see abortion one day. When abortion is made illegal, just like trafficking, it will be forced out of our country. It will be forced on the black market. I mean, there, there are plenty of places right now because they see the writing on the wall where they're stockpiling all of these abortion pills because they know the day is going to come where abortion is made illegal. It's, it's inevitable, right? If you believe the Bible is true, and again, this goes back to my, my theology, my Christian worldview. If you believe one day that all of Christ's enemies are going to be made his footstool, abortion is one of those enemies, right? 
So there's there's going to be a day when that that enemy of abortion is is leveled and put under Christ's feet as a, as a societal norm, right? But there's still going to be a demand for it, but that demand is going to be pushed in the shadows where where it belongs, just like all the rest of the evils that we hate today. Mm -hmm. I I think looking back at history, slavery slavery was ended because of the laws, but the laws didn't change till the culture changed. So they really need to be they need to come into alignment. And one of the ways that slavery was yeah. One of the ways slavery changed in the culture was people began convinced that they were people because initially, I mean, there's the same argument that we have for the unborn. It's not really a person. They had, they had the same argument. It's not really a person. It doesn't matter if you whip them or beat them or accidentally kill one. You know, they're just, they're just slaves. And it's the same thing that they've pervaded into the culture that made its way into the laws. So I think, I think you're right. It's going to take time. Uh, I'm just worried that maybe like I, it's, I'm happy to see that culture's progressed quite a bit in the last couple of years to where we can even get to the point, even if it is incrementalism, get to the point that people have started banning. Cause you know, we used, we were seeing the reverse of incrementalism. It just kept getting further and further all, you know, they were trying to go for full term abortions. Um, and we've even heard a few insane people say even post, uh, post birth, uh, you know, it's yeah. just like, they kept going a little bit further and now we're going in the reverse. Um, and I think, I think the laws are being dictated by culture. So I think it is a culture law we have to win and then solidify with the laws. Yeah, I would totally agree. I think that that's, that's why cultural engagement from, from our perspective is so important. Um, we do a lot of cultural engagement. Our friends, uh, at abolitionistrising.com, they do a whole lot of cultural engagement where they're going out into the city, out into the square, and they are challenging the worldview of the secularists, right? Mm-hmm. And and again, with the biblical worldview view being far superior, we have answers to those objections where people just end up getting frustrated and walking off. Um, at the end of the day, truth will win out. Might not be like tomorrow, but eventually truth will win out. And so, yeah, I, I don't disagree with the, the culture is going to drive our laws. That's going to drive our legislation, um, which is why we should engage with the culture as well. That's it's it's really a, a two prong. You have yeah, you, you have, have to in yeah. the abolitionist movement. You have assistance and, and you have agitation. That's right. Yeah. So assistance, we help the women who find themselves in a in a in a uh, an unexpected pregnancy, right? But we also agitate the culture, right? We hold signs, you know, think back to the days of slavery, you know, art paid a, played a very big role, right? When when these art signs of a family on an auction block being sold to different people, when people saw that, that's when they started realizing that this is a person, right? How would I like that if that's done to me? So when we hold signs of uh, victims of abortion and and things like that, it forces the culture to deal with the reality of what it is. It's, it's, it's not healthcare. Uh, it's not something that's just between you and your doctor. No, it is a wicked form of evil that needs to be, uh, eradicated, but culture is going to have to come along with that of, of, of course. And I, I, I do agree with you on that. Yeah, no, I think, I think you brought up a good point there. Um, 
And because I was thinking about it, too, where because you, you spent a lot of time talking about the law portion. Um, and of course, it sounds like you guys have, you know, cultural uh, points that you guys are trying to hit as well. Um, but it's I kind of I was kind of on the same, you know, same place with Connors where like the heart has to change somehow. Um, and so it's not just about abortion, but we're also seeing and this is a bigger conversation um, that I know you'd probably love to have at some point. Um but our culture as a whole has become more secularized. Um, we have less people that are in church. Like they don't have any, they don't have any sort of foundation and therefore they just don't see uh, the point of unborn life uh, because it, the, the culture of secularism is the idea that I am the God. I am whatever I need to be comfortable with, whatever makes me happy. Um, and from that, you have a lot of morality that gets twisted based upon your own preferences. And so I think along with, um, you know, just telling them that abortion, you know, is murder, there also has to be a huge heart change in our nation too, towards how we see God um, and how we see ourselves, which is an even, which is an even bigger, uh, even bigger task um, for a lot of the evangelical Christians uh, here in the United States. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think that Christians have, have done a fantastic job of retreating from society. Um, mm -hmm. you, you know, when you, when you, look at the history of Christianity, Christians were engaging the culture, right? Um, but, but we have adopted this defeatist mentality over the past 150 years where, you know, we've, we've pulled away from our influence in society, which is where we see a lot of our issues today, where, where you have drag queens reading to children in libraries, you have the, the whole trans agenda and all this stuff. Um, that is largely due to the fact that Christians have pulled back from having an influence in the culture. So, so yeah, abortion is just one of the many uh, pieces in, in this puzzle where Christians have to become engaged. And as we engage that culture, the Holy Spirit will be the ones to convert, will be the one to convert those people. And then, as, as the Great Commission says, that's when the nations are discipled. Right. As, as people are brought into the kingdom of God, as they are converted, uh, they are plugged into churches, godly men are pouring into them, and then the nations are discipled. And, and that's when the culture is going to reflect the heart of God. And, and uh, you know, again, my theology says that that's a promise that, that, that is going to happen here on earth. And, and I take God at his word. So I'm I'm hopeful for the day. I don't think I'm going to see it. Let's just, let's just be honest. I don't think I'm going to see that day. But my prayer is that uh, my kids and their kids and their kids for generations will be pouring into the society that reflects God's heart. Um, and then that's the change that's going to happen in culture. And then that's when all these evils that we see are going to be, you know, eventually eradicated. Yeah. Um, another question, I'm going to take us back a little bit, um, cause I want to talk about the abolitionist bills. Uh, the pro-life movement is pretty big and we do have, you know, what we consider to be pro-life, um, politicians, um, you know, senators, Congress people, um, that obviously, you know, we've elected in. So how, how are y'all, uh, helping with, with legislation, with bringing in abolitionists? How does that, how does that work? What's the strategy, uh, there? 
So, so the strategy there is to, I mean, again, so, so you got, you got to obviously look at your audience. Okay. Um, this might sound harsh, but I don't mean it to be harsh, but I'm not going to waste my time <laughs> trying to convince a Democrat that the Bible is the word of God and, and he needs to obey what it says. Right. I, I'm going to approach somebody who fundamentally says that they are a conservative Republican Christian, right? If, if that's their claim, um, I'm going to hold them to consistency. And, you know, the word of God is very clear that Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, it is the role of civil magistrates to uh, punish wicked and reward good, right? Uh, pray, praise the, the good. But it's God who decides what is wicked and what is good. Um, so when we talk to legislators, the ones who claim to be Christians, we want to present to them what does the word of God say it is your responsibility to do as a civil magistrate? And it really gets down to, is that legislator is that going to fear God more than he fears poll numbers? And we'll push them to consistency. And, and I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a hard road to hoe. Uh, I, I will be honest with you because a lot of people in politics, um, they're there to get reelected. Like I said, the abolitionist movement is small, but it is growing, and it's it's been growing very quickly over the past couple years. So much so that that you know we we do have godly senators, godly representatives that are bringing righteous bills before you know their state congress. Um, and like I said, it's not. It's not Planned Parenthood and their hundreds of millions of dollars that's squashing these bills. It is the pro-life movement that's doing that. Um, and, and, you know, so our, our fight is really, you know, a, a two-front battle. We have to fight the pro-choice rhetoric, but we also have to fight the, the pro-life rhetoric. But again, when, when I say pro-life, I'm not talking about your run-of-the-mill Republican, because I can have a conversation with somebody who claims to be pro-life and then just walk them to consistency because it is a logical conclusion. The pro-life industry is, is really our, uh, our, our, our enemy, the ones who are mm -hmm. career lobbyists, uh, the career, uh, they, they have a financial stake in, in what happens. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that is interesting. Connor. I was I was just thinking again about the hypothetical world, and I, you might have addressed this earlier, but I don't I don't recall. Um, let's say the day came that you know swiftly the the laws did change. Uh, how do you perceive those laws working out for women that had previously had abortions? Does does is it, yeah, so are, are they retroactive, or do we hold them innocent? given the account of previous laws? Yes. No. So, so all of the laws, all the abolitionist bills, I'll say it that way. All the abolitionist bills have them an effective date, right? So we're not going to mm -hmm. go back in time, even if it were possible, we're, we're not going to go back in time and try to prosecute women who had abortions, you know, <laughs> uh, 15, 20 years ago, or, or even last week. That's, that's not how law, because when they had that abortion, it was perfectly legal. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so you can't, just because the law changes doesn't mean you can go back and, and uh, prosecute somebody for an action that they did. But 
the church would be there to receive those people once once the culture realizes that that abortion is murder uh the church of jesus christ would be there to receive those people and offer salvation for that uh sin right so 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 this is really like where the where the church comes in in that in that hypothetical situation um these women who have had abortions still need healing from those abortions you see the the one of the reasons why women struggle with an abortion years and years and years and years after their abortion even if they're in the church is because they still see abortion as something that was done to them they have not reconciled in their mind and in their heart that they have actually sinned against god and and murdered a child um, whether they recognize the abortion was wrong they still have not received that forgiveness and that that hope and that peace that comes with Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. So, so that that is a, a is a crucial part of you know the the abolition of abortion is the gospel of Jesus Christ coming in and offering the hope uh, and and the peace that's only found in in Him. Um, Yeah. Do you do you think that the uh, church is mostly or at least partly to blame for abortion becoming prevalent in the states that we don't take? <clears throat> well, let me make sure I word this correctly. Uh, there's not enough provisions for women to weigh their two options between abortion and keeping the kid. <clears throat> And looking at taking a kid, I mean, raising a kid's hard, you know, I, I, you've got at least two that I know of, uh, that I've heard and seen so far in the cameras, <laughs> but basically the, 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 the easier option is to have an abortion that the convenience level is it's, it's just easier to have the abortion and get rid of the kid than it is to have the kid and try to raise the kid. Does the church carry some of that blame for for not being there, especially for we'll say the we'll use the uh, particular the the single mothers or the mothers that are are victims of rape or incest? Has the church not been there enough for women like that? Yeah, I would say so far as the the women who are uh, victims of of rape or incest, um, you know, the law of God is is very particular in what classifies as, as rape. Right. Um, and in that case, if, if there are laws, uh, against abortion, you know, well, I'll, let me say this first. I, I don't know of anybody who loves the idea of abortion more than a rapist, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody yeah. who can, um, commit a crime and then have the evidence of that crime completely Broke thrown away okay mm -hmm. so so for the, the 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 rape uh victim the incest victim um i think that the church is very willing and open to receive that person the other person you're talking about i think it gets down to embarrassment i think that the church uh maybe needs to have more of a compassion for a repentant heart if that makes sense mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. you, you know where, where they would not ostracize a young lady who, who needs help. I do, you know, there, there are plenty of women that I could, that I could point to that are plugged into churches today where the church has received them, where they were on their way to an abortion clinic, you know, mainly the one over here on Latrobe 
drive in Charlotte, mm-hmm. you know, on their way to the abortion clinic, they get stopped by somebody. They're handed a pamphlet. They, they go on an RV. They see their child. They hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They repent of their sins. They keep their baby and they get into a church, right? I can point to, mm-hmm. you know, hundreds of women just like that. So, so I think that the church maybe where they kind of drop the ball is educating their people on the seriousness of abortion, right? Because like I said before, it's not something that's just between a woman and her doctor. It, it is something that affects another human being. And, and if pastors, clergy um, are hesitant to preach against abortion, um, then yeah, the chances of them having people sitting in their congregations that you know just took a, a, an abortion pill on Saturday and they're sitting in the congregation on Sunday and aren't feeling an ounce of conviction because the pulpit is silent. I think if there is mm. any correction that needs to go towards the church, it would be that men of God, the pastors, those who stand behind the pulpit need to have a dogmatic stance uh, in, in their opposition of abortion. But so far as women needing help and running to the church, I mean, the the churches that I've seen open their doors to these women, um, dozens and dozens of them. Yeah. I want to, I want to draw another contrast with another type of woman in a similar situation, but let's say she was in the church already. And I think all of us have at least heard the testimony or even met the women that got pregnant. Let's say they're not married. Uh, and they decide that it's easier for them to go get an abortion than get shunned by the church. Um, I guess that that was another example that, that came to my mind. And I would hope that there's not a church out there that's pulling women off the streets from the abortion clinics and then shunning their own members when that type of stuff happens. Um, so I think yeah. it's, it's, it's another area for the church to, to step up, uh, and embrace and embrace their congregation because their congregation is going to fail. Just not everybody's evidence of their failures is that apparent. Like you said, it's, it's obvious when a woman is pregnant and obviously yeah. it's very obvious when she's had a kid. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I would say that, that, that a general raising the standard of holiness mm-hmm. should probably be, be taught in, in churches, right? Um, we're not animals. Uh, we, we, we can control our, our desires. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, we're, that separates us from the animal kingdom, right? Uh, so, so maybe just a general raising the standard of, of, of holiness could, could potentially prevent some of what you're, you're, you're talking about. Yeah, I think I think that's what that's what the church needs, and I think that's something that I think we've even talked about it before, Jordan. Is that the the left seems to be a bit more on the understanding or forgiving side when it comes to like uh, the aspects of Christ, uh, cool. but they take it too far um, because there there are consequences, um, and we've seen the dogmatic side of the conservatives where. They don't. They they lack the empathy uh, that the left does, and, and or the sympathy, either one. Um, I, I think it's something that the church can certainly do better. And once they do, I think that will per, be uh, more persuasive in the culture. As you know, I, I was like, I have to ask some of these questions because I know if we're talking to somebody and I say, and I'm talking about somebody that's an abolitionist that wants to just ban it outright and criminalize it, these are a lot of the questions that they're going to come up with. Um, so I just, I wanted oh, to make sure. sure that was addressed yeah. on the, on the podcast for myself and for the audiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey buddy. 
What are you doing? My dog. <laughs> I came in. My dog just came right into the room. <laughs> <laughs> but Jordan, yeah, any more thoughts? That, that, uh, I, I, I totally agree that the the cult the culture has to be brought along, and it's going to be the church that helps mm-hmm. bring the culture along. Right? Yeah, it, it has to be, and Jordan, we, we've talked about it the the moral uh relativity and you know when people make themselves their god and what they think is right or wrong they can bring anything back they can make abortion legal mm-hmm. they can make uh rounding up jews and slaughtering them legal they can make slavery legal like all of that if that is your moral compass and that's how you want to define society then that's how it's going to be so we do have to look to something higher right. than ourselves and even our culture in order for honestly in order for humanity to just survive yeah and i think i think too you know there's again like talking about the character of god which is you know so complicated to understand um which we see a lot in the book of job which we all recently went through um but there is just this balance and discernment between you know love um between grace and also justice um, and that can be a really difficult uh, struggle for Christians have to work through. And to a certain extent, uh, maybe it's something that they're going to have to discern and work through for uh, the rest of the rest of their life. Um, and I and I know like the and I'm just going to put it out there as much as I've, I definitely like a lot of what you're saying, I definitely agree with. I know that our audience is going to be taken back a little bit like a whoa, <laughs> um, where it can come across like there is no, there is no grace um, and that there is no, there is no mercy. Um, but again, trying to see it from your perspective, it's almost you're trying to stop that act from ever happening so that they, they don't have to, they don't have to go through a lot of that pain and suffering. And even if, you know, that is something that they had done in their past, you know, there is still, um, grace and there's forgiveness. Um, but like you said, and you brought up a great point is that you do have to come to terms with the fact that you killed your child. Um, and that's incredibly difficult to do, but once you do that, then you can actually repent and then, um, receive that forgiveness. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I said before, I agree the abortion uh, harms women. <laughs> like I, I right, don't yeah. disagree with that. I've, right, I've seen, right. I've seen the post-abortive moms, you know, we've, we've talked to the post-abortive mother. Um, so if we love them enough, if, if we say that we love them, we would make abortion so far out of their reach that they would never be harmed by it. Right. Like we, we would, yeah. we would make abortion, so difficult to actually get that they would not have the abortion. Right. If abortion does harm women, and I believe it does. We need to make it impossible for them to get it, or as hard as it, or as hard as they can. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah. it, it's like I said before, abortion is not going to be uh, completely ended until Jesus Christ comes mm-hmm. back, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, until his enemies are under his feet. This evil of abortion will still be in our culture to some degree, but we will not have people standing on the steps of the Supreme Court swallowing abortion pills in defiance of of what the Word of God says. We will not have uh, people having AIDS where they shout their abortion and they're proud of it. We will not have people wearing, you know, T-shirts that say, I will aid and abet 
abortions, right? It, it will not be celebrated in our culture the way it is today mm-hmm. if it were made illegal and so far out of reach that these women can't get them and then be hurt by them. Yeah. I yeah, think. Our, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, if you, it, when, when, when you think about it from the child's perspective, right? When you think about it from the child who's being poisoned to death, he's, you know, she's being ripped apart. When you think about it from their perspective, um, it will encourage you to seek justice. But in seeking that justice, you're going to protect those who would otherwise become the, the murderer in, in that situation. Yeah. No, uh, Scott, we really, uh, I think this is actually a great note to end on. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on here and talking about this um, and giving us uh, really thorough and thoughtful answers um, to a lot of our uh, our questions and perhaps even skepticism. I think that our listeners are really going uh, to like to listen to this and, and maybe challenge some of their own thoughts, because I know we have a lot of people that are, are strongly uh, pro-life. Uh, but for, for people that might want to learn more about this, uh, where can they go, Scott? So you can go to abolishabortionnc.com. Um, you can poke around on there. There's some uh, frequently asked questions and things like that. Another great resource is abolitionists, that's plural, abolitionistsrising.com. Um, and, and even check those guys out on uh, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Uh, they are doing amazing work uh, engaging the culture like we were talking about really pressing uh, the, the culture to be consistent with its, with its worldview over against the Christian worldview. So I, I would check out those two websites um, uh, for, for more information to get a better grasp on the abolitionist perspective over against your traditional uh, pro-life uh, uh, perspective. That's great. And we'll, and we'll also have you send those to us and we'll put it in our bios, uh, so that people can find it. Um, Scott, I can't thank you enough, uh, for this conversation. This was really great, Connor. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Scott, for coming on and and talking with us about this. Yeah. Thank you guys. It was a, it was a great time to, to be able to talk to you and just kind of lay out some, some differences between the two, uh, methodologies, uh, that are, that are, you know, fighting the same, the same, uh, the same evil. So thank you very much for allowing me to come on and, and talk to you guys. Absolutely. Uh, Oh, I was going to do a weird quick promo. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) And if you liked what you heard, make sure that you subscribe, like comment, send us an email, find us Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah. Twitter too. Twitter. All right. That's (laughs) it. Bye. (laughs) 